Someone had a dream the other day, and in that dream, they said they looked around the building and said there were new babies everywhere. Now, I realize there's quite a bit of people going to have babies in this church. Some of you are having twins. But that's not what they were talking about. And one lady in the church, elderly in the church, made the statement in the dream. She said, I even found mine. And uh, we don't think there's any Sarahs in the building. But what we do believe is that families, those babies are representative of people in their family that's going to be born again. How many believe you have some family members that's going to be born again? Amen. God is pouring His Spirit out in an amazing way. A man called me two days ago, began to prophesy on the phone about the revival, excuse me, the harvest getting ready to happen in the United States. He said the Lord has showed him crusades all over the country where thousands are going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, it is the greatest hour of the church. Can you say amen? I realize in the end time there can be a falling in the way, but I also believe that God is adding to his church right now. What was addition is now multiplication. I think you ought to clap your hands and thank God for truth. Thank God for his word. Thank God for the outpouring of his spirit that's happening across the country. Amen. Look at two or three people around you say, I know it's Wednesday, but God's moving. Praise God, praise God, praise God. We are so glad to have with us Brother James Hughes. If you would look outside the portico that you see, he designed that for us. Would you thank him for that right now? We appreciate him taking time, donating that to the church, just helping. Some of the things you see around come from his design that he looked at and did for us. We're so thankful that he took time for us. This is not the first time he's been here. He's been here before ministering and helping us in a mighty way. He travels all over the world preaching the gospel. Bases out of Houston, Texas. And we're so thrilled to have you. But before you come, we're going to pray for your wife. His wife has three places in the back where there's been a, a, a compression fraction. We're going to lift our hands and ask God to give her total healing. Would you do that? Lord, you are a healer. We pray that God, you would touch her. Lord, scheduled for surgery, but we're believing that God, you can reach and heal her right now. We're so thankful, God, for what you can do for us. So thankful for the power and the healing of your spirit. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Hughes, would you come? Take your liberty. Preach whatever you feel. Would you give him a big Zanesville welcome as he comes today? If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of John, chapter 4. Let's begin reading in verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away in the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, 
How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. Acts chapter 2. Verse 38 and 39. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. For a few moments tonight, I want to talk to you about the gift of the Holy Ghost. Lord bless you, you may be seated. Before I begin tonight, let me say what a great honor it is to be here. And I do hope and pray that something I say tonight will help you to have a better life. I am convinced that God's children are not enjoying all of the benefits that they have belonging to his family. We have the greatest father in all the world. There's none like him. No one's ever called the authorities on him because he was abusing his kids. No one's ever walked out of his presence with their head down and their face red because they've been shamed, embarrassed, or humiliated. God has never caused any of us a problem with self-image or self-esteem. We don't ever feel broken when we leave his presence. We always feel as if we're valuable to him. A pastor used to ask a question quite often at the beginning of his sermon and the question he would ask the church was, has God been good to anybody here? Has God been good to anybody here? He would follow that question up with a second question. And the second question is, who's he been the best to? So God wants all of us to believe and feel that we're more important than anybody else. He doesn't have a problem with me thinking I'm better or I'm more special than anyone else. The psalmist said, delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. The literal translation says, let oneself be spoiled by Yahweh. Anybody here enjoy being spoiled by God? See, every person who comes to the house of God ought to walk away a spoiled brat. When you come here, you ought to walk away understanding and knowing 
that your father loves you more than anything you could ever imagine. That you're not broke, you're not a, a defective vessel, that you're his prized possession. He loves us unconditionally. And often we come to church with a sack lunch when he's prepared a banquet. We come to church often feeling that we don't have the power or the ability to change our lives or to be any different. And we often concede to life and, 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 and almost say, well, what can I do about it? How can I change this? See, the Bible has prophesied and the word says that the Bible will not change, not one dotting, not, not a jot or tittle of the word, an accent mark or, or, or a question mark or a dot over a letter. There will be no change in the word of God. It is forever settled. It is forever settled. It is the word of God. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It does not change. What changes is us. We start thinking it doesn't have the power and ability it used to have. It was written for a different generation. It doesn't apply to my world. Paul writing to the Hebrews said, the word of God is quick and powerful. It's alive and active. It's still just as powerful today as the day it was written. It still has the same effect today as the day it was penned. The word of God has not changed. It is forever settled. It will change or give me the ability to change my life if I live it. But I can't be a hearer of the word. I have to become a doer of the word. What I hear will not change my life. What I do changes my life. So if I want my life to change and become different, I've got to put into practice what the word has taught me to do. Now the word has declared that in the last days that God would pour out the former rain and the latter rain together. So the revival of the end of time is going to be at least a two-fold revival as the book of Acts. But it also said in Joel, the same passage that prophesies that the latter day, that the latter rain and the former rain will be poured out together, it says that the latter rain will be seven times greater than the former rain. Well, that's eight times at least. So if it's eight times, if 3,000 people got the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, then 24,000 people have to get it at the end of time. If 5,000 were added daily to the church, then in the last day it has to be 40,000 added daily to the church. This last day revival is going to happen. It's not, is it a possibility? It 
is going to happen. Now the question is, are you gonna be part of it? Well, if you're gonna be part of it, you've gotta start using every resource he gave you. We are not hopeless. We are not helpless. What lives in me is greater than anything that lives in the world around me. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. You are the devil's worst nightmare. Your prayer every morning when you get up ought to be, God, what part of the devil's territory would you like rearranged today? Just point me in a direction because I want to cause him as much chaos as he's caused you. So just let me become that source of irritation for him that he has been to people through the years. So we act like we don't have the power we need or the resources we need to be successful and to reach our world and, and, and for the world to become different. He's equipped us with everything necessary. Everything. You know, us Pentecostals say some things that really don't make a whole lot of sense. We, we've developed our own language and vocabulary and and we tell people to hold on and turn loose at the same time, and that's kind of difficult to do. And, and we just have this way of saying things that when you really think about them, they, they really don't, it just doesn't add up. You, you don't get a refilling of the Holy Ghost. Got real quiet. What is the Holy Ghost? Is it a, what is it? Unless a man is born of the water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said that in John chapter three, the chapter before I read to you tonight. The Holy Ghost is a birth. We call it the new birth. How many times can you get born spiritually? Ladies, when you have a child, does it come in pieces? Do you get an arm one day and a leg the next and then another leg and another arm and a torso and a head and, and, and like Legos, you snap it all together and then you got a kid? When you get the Holy Ghost, you get it all at one time. You don't get it in doses. You don't get it in measures. You get the whole thing at the same time. So when you get the Holy Ghost and you speak in that language that only he can give you, you get the whole deal at the same time. What you learn how to do is use it. See, we... We're powerless because we don't let God operate through us. We don't have what we want or desire because 
we get to thinking, I don't deserve it. God's, he's not going to do it for me. And I allow life to rob me of the greatest blessings God has given us. So Jesus told Nicodemus in the third chapter what the Holy Ghost was going to be about. And he says that unless a man is born of water and spirit, he might not, he possibly not, or he cannot. Now, is cannot an absolute? Is there any way around it? He cannot enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water, baptism, spirit, Holy Ghost. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Shortly thereafter, Jesus makes his way to Galilee. He spends time in Galilee. Nicodemus is in Jerusalem. He goes to Galilee, 20 miles to the east, or, or to the Jordan River, 20 miles to the east. And there spends a period of time. John says, on a particular day, at a particular time, Jesus needed to go to Samaria. Now that statement lets us know that John realized Jesus had to be there. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to Samaria. Jesus just told those men that day, we're headed back to Galilee. And so they thought they would travel the Jordan Valley to Galilee. But shortly after crossing the Jordan River, they start winding their way up that cliff. And about noontime, they wind up at this place that all of these 12 men are uncomfortable with because they know they're in the area of the Samaritans. And they're not comfortable being there because these are not people you're supposed to associate with. So Jesus goes out of his way to find this well. Now Jesus knew where the well was at. And he gets there at the right time, on the right day, to have an encounter with the right woman. To have that encounter, he can't have anybody else present. So he has to send the disciples to Sychar to buy lunch because it's noon. Six hours noon. It's Roman time. It's noon. So at noon, Jesus is sitting on the well and here approaches this woman of Samaria. And as she approaches, Jesus simply begins to speak to her. And he says to this woman at the well, would you please give me to drink? And the woman looks at him and says, wait a minute. You are a Jew. No, you are a rabbi. Now, how did she know he was a rabbi? You are a rabbi, and you're asking me, a Samaritan, to give? I, I'm not just Samaritan. I'm a woman. Why are you asking me to give you something to drink? Because 
y'all don't like us. And Jesus doesn't respond to her statement. Jesus simply says, woman, if you knew who I was, you would ask of me and I would give you a gift, the gift of God, and you would never thirst again. And the woman says, oh, I, you don't even have a pot. How, how are you going to get water out of this well? You don't have a rope. You, you don't have any. You're asking me for drink. How, how's the water come? He said, no, what I give you is going to spring up inside, and it'll be an everlasting. You will never thirst again. And she now says, okay, I want some of that to drink because I'm tired of coming here. And he says, go get your husband. She says, well, I don't have one. He said, that's true. You've had five, the one you're with now is not your husband. Now she perceives he's a prophet. And she starts asking questions. We say, worship here. And she points to a mountain right beside where the well's at. From where the well is at to the south is Gerizim. To the north is Ebal. And she points to the mountain where the original tabernacle set. We worship here. If you'll look, you'll see a replica of the Old Testament tabernacle. We rebuilt it. It's right up there. That's where we worship. You say we have to worship in Jerusalem. Where do we really worship at? And Jesus declares to her, the day cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's not going to be on that mountain or anywhere else. God is looking for true worshipers to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father seeketh such. When you cry out, you don't have to find God. God finds you. You don't look for God. You can't find him. But when you call his name and you truly worship, God starts finding your location and he comes to where you are just like he came to this woman at the well. He spent at least eight to 10 hours getting there that day so he could be there at the right time to have this encounter with this woman. Now, why was this encounter so important? What is it about this woman that is so necessary? Why did Jesus find her? We think she was immoral. In our mind, She's one of those women that throws herself away. But that's not a fact. In the Jewish world of that day, women had no right of divorce. This woman had been thrown away by five men for any excuse they could come up with. She burnt the toast. She don't look good no more. I don't like her. Whatever the cause was, all he had to do was write out a piece of paper, I am divorcing this woman, give her dowry back, send her back to her father, 
and he, that divorce, that marriage was over, and she, dad had to find some other man to take her, and he paid him, called a dowry. Women had no rights. So here's a woman that had been thrown away repeatedly over and over and over again. This woman is a representation of all humanity. Jesus didn't come to save people that didn't need to be saved. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And it starts by identifying that there's nobody beneath being saved. Nobody. Jesus went to that well to find that woman. When Jacob came back from Laban's house, he had nothing to show that he had a birthright and a blessing. He had been promised the promised land, but he had nothing to show for it. So he buys a piece of property and he dug a well. And it's called Jacob's well. So when Jacob came to stake out his territory and say, this is mine, Jesus showed up at that well to stake out his territory and say, this is mine. This is what I come to seek and save. The first Adam didn't protect his wife. I've come to protect mine. I've come to redeem her and make sure she's never broke, she's never left, She's never out in the cold. She's not defective. She's not a nobody. She's the most valuable thing that I have. And I want her to understand that she is valuable to me. When he called her woman in the Greek language, he uses the greatest word of honor that you could ever say to a female. He put her on a pedestal. In our word today, you might say he called her the queen. She is the most valuable person. That's what let her let her walls down and let him in. And then he starts giving her a revelation. And the revelation is, I've got something to give you. And what I've got to give to you will be called the gift of God. Now the word that's used here is doria. It's a very unique Greek word. It can only be used to describe what deity can do for humanity. It cannot be used to describe what humanity can do for deity. It can only be a gift from God to man. And it's not a gift that cost. Now we're at the time of year that a lot of you are working overtime. And the reason you're working overtime is because next Wednesday, you're gonna give out a lot of packages and they cost money. And so you've had to do a little bit of extra over the last few months and weeks to get enough money to buy those things that are under the tree at your house probably right now. They cost you. They either cost your time or your money to pay for them. Now, the problem with those kind of gifts is that by March, they wind up in the garage or in a garage sale. Because gifts that people give me don't have any value to me because they didn't cost me anything. 
So most gifts that humans give are called dorias or dorons, which is a gift of sacrifice. But the people who receive it, most of the time, don't keep it very long. Why? The day after Christmas is the busiest shopping day of the year. Why? Because all the people who got presents, don't like what they got, show back up at the store to return it to get what they wanted because they didn't get what they wanted. So they're going to make sure they get what they wanted. So there are more things take place uh, on the 26th of December and 27th of December and the weeks that proceed because we're taking back what we were given because it wasn't the color or the style or it wasn't just really what I wanted. I told you what I wanted, but that I changed my mind in the meantime and I'd rather have this. You got a problem with me taking it back? So now with your presence, usually goes receipts. So you can take it back to the store because we know people aren't gonna keep them. So wouldn't it be a lot simpler just to give them the money and say, go buy what you want? <laughs> well, that's what I've come to the conclusion of. <laughs> Why waste the time doing all that shopping when it's going to wind right back up on the shelf? So here, just take, I'll give you the money. You go buy what you want. God said, I, I want to give you a gift that you're never going to want to give away. Why? Because this is a gift that if you ever learn what it is and what it has the potential to do, you will never want to discard it anywhere. You'll take it with you everywhere you go. Because God knows I've got something I can give you that you will never thirst again. You're not going to look anywhere else to find truth or life or the meaning of life. When you get this gift, it'll change your life forever. The only place in the New Testament that the Greek word doria is used before Acts 2.38 is John chapter 4. Verse 10. You don't find it anywhere else. Not other, one other time is that Greek word used in the New Testament until Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he starts preaching. And he says, when they say, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, then Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you shall receive the doria, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now I got a question for you. How did Peter know to use that word if he never heard Jesus use it again? Where was he at when Jesus talks to this woman? He's in town buying lunch. The only way Peter could repeat what Jesus said was Peter had to interview that woman and ask her, what was y'all's conversation about? 
It had to be incredible because she left running and when she got to town in just a few moments, the entire town starts coming to where Jesus is and all of Sychar come to hear him because this woman that had been rejected by men on a regular basis went back to town and converted the whole town and brought the whole town out to hear Jesus. So Peter has to say, okay, something powerful happened. She couldn't convert that village and get the whole village to come and hear him. What happened? What did he say to you? And as she began to ask the question, she started revealing what Jesus said. And Jesus told her that day, she said, we know Messiah comes. Are you him? And his response to her was, ego ami soy lelo. What he literally said was, I am that I am is speaking to thee. You want to see the Messiah, but I'm going to show you, don't look for a man. God has showed up in your presence. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Jehovah of the Old Testament is standing in your presence and he is speaking to you. And when she understood who he was and she got a revelation that he was God in flesh, she went to town and got the whole town to come back to hear him. And so when Peter preaches Acts 2.38, he's preaching with a memory of what happened this day, that that town was converted by the fact that she understood Jesus was God in flesh and that he had a gift to give away that once man got it, he would never want to get rid of it because it's the greatest gift you could possibly imagine. And it's the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. The gift. The gift of the one and only holiness. It's God saying, I'm going to give you something that's going to change your life. It'll make you so different. There's not a devil around you won't defy or get in his face and say, you're not wrecking nobody else's life. I'm going to bind you and I'm going to cast you into darkness because you've destroyed too many people. You're not destroying one other human. See, that's the authority you have. If there's chaos going on at your house, you need to get a bottle of oil and go to your house and knowing all the doors, both door posts, the top and the bottom. That's what they did in the old tent. They anointed with blood. And you, you, you determine what happens in your house. There's no devil big enough to cause chaos in your life. You have control over every devil. It doesn't matter where they're at. You have the authority over their life. Why? Because to the Colossian church, Paul says that you are hid with Christ in God. That literal translation says you are camouflaged. When Satan tries to find you, he only sees him, not you. He's terrified of you. He knows there's one God and fears and trembles. 
If we just understood who we were and what we really were, we'd just revolutionize every town in America. We'd close down every beer joint and every nightclub. You wouldn't have to pick at anything. You could just start praying and the doors would close in a period of time because you have the power and the authority to bring darkness under control if you simply exercise the gift. You got to exercise. I've been intrigued, please be seated, by author over the last seven or eight years, maybe close to 10 years now. When you get old, time kind of takes on a different perspective. You, you, you just kind of lose sight of where it actually happened. But I was preaching in Florida. A young lady brought me a book, said, you might want to read this. You'll probably find it interesting. So I took it home, read it, quiet. It was incredibly interesting because somewhere on chapter four, I think, maybe chapter three, is story of a medical doctor who was raised in an agnostic home where his father was a lawyer and told him all his life, God doesn't exist. God is only a part of your brain's ability to create a myth and to believe a myth. God is not real. He doesn't exist. And a child would argue with this father, lawyer, how can you prove that? And he'd try to reason with his child. So this child grew up. Instead of going to law, he decides to become a medical doctor. And he goes to medical school. And he decides that he wants to do research. He wants to understand how the brain works. So he becomes a psychiatrist and a radiologist and starts practicing. Sets up a research center. And he wants to know, is God real or is God part of the brain's ability to create a myth? Can you prove it? So, through scientific research, he came to the conclusion that you can't get rid of God. And he discovered that inside of every human brain is an area of our brain he calls the God neurons. And if you believe in God, that part of your brain works. If you don't believe in God, that part of your brain don't work. So if you want to be brain dead, just deny God exists. And you will lose part of your brain's function as a result of saying God don't exist. So if you want to be a fool, a moron, a moros, as Jesus called them, you want to be a moros or a moron, just deny God. Say God don't exist. The fool has said it. The moron has said in his heart, there is no God. Then somehow he got introduced to Pentecostals. And someone, apparently, I don't know how, he doesn't say, someone told him that Pentecostals speak in tongues. And he wanted to know, okay, is that real or not? Can you prove that it's valid? 
What's happening? So he advertised in the newspaper in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And he got 19 participants to come and participate in his study of what speaking in tongues does the brain. Well, his study, he wanted to be able to see what the brain is doing when you actually are speaking in tongues. So how do you get somebody in a machine and get them to speak in tongues so you can take pictures of their brain through a spec scan while they're actually doing it? Well, there's no way that's going to happen. But they have developed a technique where they can inject you with a radioactive isotope and 30 to 40 minutes later, take a picture of your brain and see what your brain was doing at the instant of injection. So they can take a snapshot of 30 minutes in your past and see what activity was in your brain the instant of that injection. So they get these 19 Pentecosts. Now, all of us become really concerned when I start talking about stuff. If you could see the faces of Pentecostals when I discuss this, these things, it's like they're going to prove the Bible's wrong. They have never proved the Bible's wrong, and they're not going to prove the Bible's wrong. So don't be afraid. So he brings the first lady in and, asks, and, and interviews her and said, can you speak in tongues? Yes. How often do you speak in tongues? Quite often. You do it every day. Well, not every day, but yeah, lots of times I do. Um, when do you speak in tongues? Usually while I'm praying. Can you speak in tongues anytime you want? No. Then when do you speak in tongues? Well, usually when I'm praying and, and, and God moves on me, and when I feel God move on me, then usually I start speaking in tongues. Well, do you think that, that you could speak in tongues inside of a room that we can watch you and, and record what's happening. She said, well, if God wants that to happen, then I guess it probably can happen. And he said, okay, what, do you, what, what, what kind of room do you need? She said, well, it'd be nice if it resembled my prayer room. So, okay, what's in your prayer room? And she told him. So they create this room that looks like her prayer room. And they put a, 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 a CD player in, and, and she comes in, puts her music on, starts praying. Now, there's a, there's a mirror that they're on the other side of. She knows they're out, but she gets lost. It's almost like God wanted them to know what's going on. She just kind of gets lost, and, and she starts praying, and it's not long till she starts speaking in tongues. So... The doctor, he's, he's, he's talking to his staff. When, when, when do we need to do, do the injection? And one of them said, well, we probably ought to not do one and, and just stop her and take a picture of her brain before she speaks in tongues so we can see what it looks like after she speaks in tongues. So they stopped her, took her to the machine, took a picture, took her back to the room, and, and, and the doctor said, can you do this again? He said, well, I don't know, but it's a possibility. If the Lord wants it to happen, it'll happen. And, and so she starts praying again and singing and worshiping. And it's not long until she starts speaking in tongues again. And the doctor says, okay, should we wait a long time? How, how long 
And so he, he waits five or, or so minutes and he remotely injects the radioactive isotope and they let her finish and then they take her to the room and they take a picture of her brain. Guess what they discovered? What do you think they discovered? Well, are you speaking in tongues because your brain is doing it or is God doing it? Okay, if God is doing it, then what should happen in the brain? The part of the brain that controls your tongue and vocal cords should not be active. That's exactly what he discovered. When you speak in tongues, the part of your brain that works when you're talking is not working. Your tongue is not being controlled by the center that produces sound and vibration that we create words with. The part of your brain that is working is your sensory perception. It's like every nerve on your skin has been stroked all at the same time from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head. It's like God just wraps himself around you and as God caresses every part of your body, then God takes over And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place in one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire and it set upon each of them and they all began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Now, Andrew Newberg will not say God's doing it. He just simply says, Pentecostals say they're being moved on by God. And that's exactly what the Bible says, that God steps into my life and takes over my ability to communicate and the part of my brain that's supposed to produce communication doesn't work. Now, tell me that's not God. So Jesus said, I'm going to give you a gift that no man can take away from you. There's not a man alive going to be able to convince you and say, it's not real. You, you didn't get nothing. What, what, what you experienced is just some emotional high or, or you just babbled. No, he said it's a distinct language and all 19 of them spoke a different language. And he verified their syntax and the grammar and, and the fluctuation of the voice. It's very discernible that it is a language. But it's not a language spoken by your brain. It's a language spoken by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because he said, I'm going to give you a gift. And that gift is going to give you an ability for your life to change forever. Please be seated. I'm almost through. But I haven't got to the best part. Now here's this gift God said I'm going to give you. I'm going to speak through you. No one can convince you it's, you don't have it. 
Because when I give you the evidence, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When I give you the evidence, you'll have all the faith in the world. See, when you speak in tongues, the Bible could have said that Jonah was swallowed by a tadpole and you would believe it because of the experience of speaking in tongues. That experience validates every word in the scripture as a result of that one. I'm gonna give you evidence that nobody can take from you and it's a gift that's gonna change your life. About a year ago, about this time of year, I was traveling, sitting in the airport, flipped my laptop open, got online, just looking at the news. And Fox homepage pops up, and I'm scrolling down all the articles. I, I read stuff most of you would ignore. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm scanning. And, I, and one of the articles just popped out and got my attention. I clicked on it. And so I start reading it, and it was quite awe-inspiring. And so I closed my laptop so that when I got home, I could open it back up and hadn't lost where I was at. And when I got home, I downloaded the information. And then at the end of this article, there's probably 30, 40 different references. And so I start checking the references because it was a scientific article. It wasn't somebody's opinion. Somebody's research, and so they document every place they got information from. And the article said that human DNA can be changed by sound and vibration. That's what got my attention. Sound and vibration. And as I got studying what scientists have discovered, your DNA was created by God, and all of us have it. But your DNA is just not some microscopic part of your body that generates who you are, what you look like, but it has incredible abilities. They discovered that the sound that changes DNA is 528 megahertz. They discovered that you can take DNA, suspend it in a fluid so that it stays alive, and bring people into a room where it's at, and let those people speak words of criticism, anger, resentment, bitterness. They can curse each other, scream at each other, and when you examine the DNA, you discover that the DNA is damaged by the sound. And the Bible says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. They took that DNA, put it back in the fluid, had people come in, speak words of kindness, love, affirmation, examine the DNA, and it's healed itself. Because in the tongue is the power of life and death. You have the power to make someone's life better or bitter. 
You have the ability to change people's lives by your words of kindness, love, and affirmation. They also discovered that DNA has a hyper-communication ability. They discovered you could take the queen ant out of a colony, remove her from that location, take her to another location, and the colony stays active as long as she's alive. You can take her to another state, and as long as she's alive, the colony's alive. The instant she dies, the colony disappears. And the only way that can happen is DNA has the ability to communicate over time and distance. Well, if that's true, what is 528 megahertz? Any music major here know what 528 megahertz is? What is it? Anybody know? It's not middle C, but it's the next C down, seven notes down from middle C. The next C is 528 megahertz. Scientists say that all birds sing in the key of C. Now, is that a coincidence? The sun vibrates at 528 megahertz. Our bodies respond to 528 megahertz. If sound and vibration alters DNA, how many of your children's lives were changed by you showing up at church carrying them in your womb before they were ever born? And the sound of preaching and the sound of music brought healing to lives that could have possibly had all. Only time in eternity is going to let us know what's happened in people's lives just as a result of being in the house of God when they were singing. They discovered that the Gregorian chant, which is the Catholic Church reading the scriptures to music. If you've ever heard, it's the most incredible. It's a baritone voice that literally sings the scripture. You've never heard anything more beautiful than someone actually singing the word of God. And that, that the singing of the word of God, they played it to DNA. It alters it 10 times faster than anything else. Then if that's true, what does prayer do? How does prayer affect us? Several years ago, I had an encounter with a lady who had been horribly abused. Now, I came from an incredibly good family. Most psychologists study psychology because they're trying to figure out what happened in their life and get answers. I studied psychology because my pastor told me I needed to. I'm a structural engineer. I, I'm, I'm not off into that stuff. I'm a scientist by nature. And my first degree is in math and physics. And, and, and he says, you need to get a degree. And we, we, people have problems we don't have to answer, so you need to go back to school and figure out how to do it. So, well, because of, of that, 
I've discovered some people who had some really horrible lives. Now, I don't understand how parents can be so mean to their kids. I I don't understand how they can abuse them and take pictures and keep an album of all the abuse they did to them. I don't understand that. I understand how, matter of fact, could could I point out to you that if you offend a child, you're going to go to hell. It's the only heaven and hell issue Jesus identified. You want to know what a heaven and hell issue is? Offend one of these little ones. Better cut your foot off, cut your hand off, pluck your eyeball out than to offend one of these little ones. Don't you know their angels are always in the presence of my father? God hates abuse. God hates when adults abuse children. And it is a heaven or hell issue. Jesus said it was. This lady had been horribly abused. It took six months before she was ever comfortable enough with me to tell me her story. And when I heard her story, I, didn't, I really wish I had never heard it because it's horrible. But she came in one night. We were talking. Her husband's sitting out. I can see him through the glass. And she's sitting here across the table from me. And, and, and all of a sudden, a child starts talking to me. And that terrified me. Hair on the back of my head kind of stood up because I'd heard about this stuff, but I didn't believe any of this stuff could happen. And here I'm looking at one, and, and it's happening. And, and I, I said, okay, God, what's, her pastor told me she's my greatest prayer warrior, so she's not possessed. My brain thought she's possessed, and I remembered the words of her pastor. She's my greatest prayer warrior. If God speaks something to her and she tells you privately, she'll never do it publicly. She'll come to you and tell you, God spoke this to me about you. She's never missed. Never. She'll get it right 20% of the time, 50% of the time, 80%. She's 100% right every time she says, God said this. And this kid starts talking to me. And the kid starts saying, please don't tear my walls down. If you tear my walls down, you're going to wreck my life. Please, please, please. And then I, when I realized what the problem was, I said, I don't know what's wrong with you. She said, okay, what is it? I told her. She said, yeah, but everybody thinks I'm possessed, so I keep trying to cast the devil out. She left, came back the next week. She said, I was praying this week. The Lord said the answer to my problem is found in Romans chapter 8. If you'll go get Romans chapter 8 and read it, you'll find out how to help me. So I went home. I read Romans 8. I reread Romans 8. I read Romans 8. I reread Romans 8. I read Romans 8. I I read it about eight times. I didn't find one answer. So I thought, you know, Maybe I need to translate it. So I sat down at my dining room table and got my Greek text out. And I start translating Romans 8. And as I'm translating, it dawned on me that all of the pronouns are plural, third person. You do no injustice to the scripture anywhere to make it personal and think it's written to you. You're not doing an injustice to translation if you apply it to yourself. So change all the pronouns to to reveal other people and put yourself in the picture. And as I'm translating, I got down to verse 26. And if you'll get Romans 8, 26 and put it on the screen for me, please. I found the answer. Here it is. Likewise, Spirit helpeth 
our infirmities. When I know not what I should pray as I ought, the Spirit maketh intercessions for me with groanings and utterances. That word helpeth is a word picture. The easy way to describe it is there's a wall built across this room, floor to ceiling, wall to wall, no doors. You can't get around it, over it, through it, under it. Something's driven through that wall so far you can't get a hold of it. You can see it, but you have no access to it. The literal translation is to take hold of along with or on the other side. So Paul said, likewise the Spirit helpeth my infirmities. Lack of strength, weakness, sickness, disease, chaos, whatever, that word covers any problem you could have in life. You, whatever problem you name, it's covered by that word. There's not a problem or condition in life that word doesn't cover. Likewise, the Spirit helpeth my infirmities. When I don't know what I should pray as I ought, the Spirit maketh intercessions for me. So Jesus said, I'm going to give you a gift called the Holy Ghost. And the way you're going to understand it, you're going to speak in a language. I'm going to take control of your vocal cord. I'm going to speak through you. And I know what you need in your life. So if you'll just let me control the environment and you'll let me pray through you, I can use your tongue and your vocal cord to create the right sound and right vibrations to heal any disease or any sickness, infirmity, weakness, lack of strength that you possibly could encounter in your life. She came back the next week. I said, here's what it says. And she, her face lit up. We, we didn't get five minutes in that session. Her face lit up. Oh, I can take care of this. I'll do this tomorrow. I've been doing this a long time. Didn't know what I was doing. I'll fix this problem tomorrow. Are you sure? Yes. I'll see you next week. Left. Five minutes. Left. Come back next week. Her face is a smile. I said, you did it, didn't you? She said, yes. I hired a babysitter. I went to church the next day. I spent six hours in intercessory prayer. I just said, okay, God, you need to speak. You know how to change my life? I don't, you do. So I, I yield my body to you so that you can control my words, whatever I need to say. And she said, as I begin to speak in tongues and intercessory prayer, all of my life came back together. All the holes in memories disappeared. All the problems. When I walked out of that room that day, I was a brand new whole person. All that junk is gone. It doesn't control my life anymore. It doesn't dictate my life. I am a brand new person called Jesus said, I'm going to give you a gift. And that gift is going to give you the ability to change your life and to change everything about your life. If, if DNA has hyper hearing and sensitivity, that means everybody that shares your DNA, you have the ability to communicate with without them knowing it. 
You got kids that are backslid. If you'd spend some time in intercessory prayer, God would use your voice to get to where they're at and speak in their life and they don't even know what's going on because you have the power through, hey, I'm going to give you a gift that will change your life. It will give you ability to change everybody's life around you. Last year I did one of those DNA tests. I was always told I was part American Indian to discover I'm 99.9% European. Go figure. Not one ounce of DNA from any Native American tribe, 2% Jewish, which I had no clue of, which what it says. But it also said I have 1,700 plus relatives alive in America that I don't even know. But my prayer can touch their lives because I share their DNA. So you don't know how this end time revival is going to take place. It's when God's church gets an intercession and they start praying and God says, I'm going to take the gift I gave you and I'm going to let it jump DNA all over the world and it'll start touching lives and hearts of people and lives will start being transformed. People start showing up and saying, I don't know why I'm here, but I just felt something. I got to be here. Something drew me. Yes, it was your intercession that caused God or gave God the ability to use your tongue and your vocal cords to change life. When I preached this sermon at my brother's church in May, I had to have neck surgery in June, so I had to miss one weekend of traveling. I had a disruption. I had to take part of it off. And I was on service. I'm, I'm through. Please stand. Service on Sunday morning. My brother got in the pulpit. He said, Church, called a lady by name. She's here today. The doctors give her very little time left to live. First round of chemo didn't work. They thought it did, but didn't. Her cancer's come back in aggressive form. And they don't give her any time. She's actually gray in color. She used, she's about five foot ten, she's a tall lady, and used to weigh 130, 140 pounds. She was never overweight, just a tall lady. She's now down to 87 pounds. This frail skin and bones of a lady sitting there. And he said, her husband called me last night and said, I'm going to bring her to church tomorrow. He said, I've called people all over America to pray for my wife. And God told me I was doing it wrong. Because James said, is there any sick among you? Let them call the elders of church. Not me call you to get healed, but you call me that you want to be healed. Let them call the elders of the church. And they'll lay hands on them, know what they're doing. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And he said, all right, we're going to pray for her. And he said, okay. He pointed at me. Here's the oil. Go pray for her. So I went, picked up that bottle of oil. I said, all right, Jesus. If all this stuff is true about what tongues can do to life, then I yield my body to you right now. You know the sound and vibration necessary to heal every tumor in that body. I don't, you do. I anointed her with oil and I didn't get one word out of my mouth. The Lord started speaking through me. When I finished, there wasn't one sign she was healed. Not one. 
took her home. I kept asking my brother, how's she doing? By Friday, one tumor was totally gone that you could see underneath the skin, disappeared. 14 days later, the second one's gone, and the third one is half the size it used to be. 21 days later, it's not a tumor in her body. Goes back to the doctor. Doctor says, what surgeon did you take her to? And the husband said, didn't take her no church. What treatment has she had? They're, they're, these, these tumors are gone. We can't find anything anywhere. There's not any kind of cancer anywhere in her body. Who treated her? And this man's a Muslim. And he said, sir, I believe in the Bible. And the Bible says, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and let them anoint them with all. Pray the prayer of faith and the prayer of faith. And I took her to church. They anointed her with oil. And that's what you see. And he didn't say a word. He just sat there and looked at him for a few minutes, turned his chair around, started typing on his computer, punched the print button, page pops out. He handed it to the husband. And it said, eat right, sleep right, have lots of faith. She now weighs 120 pounds. And that's from June till today. She's got her color back. Her hair's growing faster than it's ever grown. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm going to give you a gift that's going to give you an ability to change the world that's around you. But if you don't ever learn how to use the gift, it will never be effective. So you need to say, all right, Jesus, I yield my, I yield my voice to you. You know the sounds and you know the vibrations necessary to bring about whatever life needs at this point. Maybe there's members of my family I don't even know. I've prayed in intercession many times since, and I'd say, Jesus, I have no clue who this prayer's to, but there are 1,700 plus people out there that share my DNA. So if, if what they say works, you can, you can jump from my DNA to theirs if they're halfway around the world. God said, I'm going to give you the greatest gift possible. Don't ever forget. You have the power. You have the power. Don't expect your preacher or someone else to do it. You have the power to change everything about your life if you'll just spend a little bit of time in intercession and say, likewise, the Spirit helpeth my infirmity. When I don't know what to pray, the Spirit knoweth the mind of God and the Spirit's going to make intercession because the Spirit knows what I need. So Jesus, I yield myself to you. Gracious Father, I thank you today for your incredible word. I thank you today for your wonderful people that's here today. Jesus, you are aware of every need and every life. Jesus, you know what we need. So Lord Jesus, I pray today, 
that your children would not be afraid to open their heart, to invite you in and say, Jesus, I give you access to my ability to communicate and my ability to pray. And I yield myself to you so that you can pray and you can bring about the healings and transformations that need to be done. Jesus, help me today to understand that I have the power to do this. And help me today to not be afraid to allow you to use my tongue and my vocal cords to speak the words that are life-changing for those around me. Jesus, if there are families here with children who have gone astray, I pray that parents today would get a burden for those children and they'd spend some time in intercession and through intercessory prayer, it would open the door for all kinds of healings to start taking place. Lives being changed, hearts being mended today because we have yielded our bodies to you. We allow your spirit to flow through us and to speak through us. And we're not afraid or embarrassed to allow you to speak through us, Jesus. So would you speak today in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hakara bahasa kata, kiara bahasa, yandara bahai kiasa ya yanamaha, kiara bahasa kata yara baha, kiabahasa kiara baha, kiandara bahai ni yararakaha, kiasa kata yara. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, would you open your heart to him right now? Would you let him? He's here. He'll do whatever your desire is tonight. He's not going to force it. He's not going to make you. But if you would like to see some changes take place, if you'll just spend a few moments, it doesn't take a long time, just a few moments right now, you'd see some incredible things start happening in your life. Lift your hands all over this building. God's calling you to prayer. God is calling you to prayer right now all over this building. God's calling you to prayer to pray for your family. In the name of Jesus. Come on, you feel called to come and pray. Brother Hughes has no idea, but my prayer yesterday in the intercession was this. God, let there be life where there's been death. That was my prayer yesterday. That's it. Let's gather all over this from this room and begin to pray. Begin to pray to your spirit praise. Groanings that you do not understand because the spirit itself makes intercession for your soul. Hallelujah. 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 That's it. Let's gather around, begin to seek the Lord. Ianda yes, ianda. 